and I would strongly suggest that's the, a very effective way to communicate in times of information overload. And you'd be surprised how powerful it can be when you get it right. Welcome to the Thriving on Overload podcast. I am Ross Dawson, a futurist and entrepreneur fascinated by how we can excel at dealing with the universe of information and the author of the book, Thriving on Overload. Every week, we share insights from information masters on how they transform today's avalanche of information into insight, foresight, and better decisions. For more goodness on this topic, be sure to visit thrivingonoverload.com, where there are a wealth of resources to help you thrive, including all podcast episodes with transcripts, excerpts from my book, and if you are really intent on amplifying your information productivity, the Thriving on Overload interactive course, which helps you develop a personal information plan you can immediately put into practice. And be sure to sign up for our weekly Tips for Thriving newsletter if you want to optimize your information productivity. If you enjoyed this episode, please do subscribe and give a rating or review on iTunes. It helps others interested in this topic to find these resources. Now, on with the show. On this episode, we learn from Ari Popper. Ari is the founder and CEO of Sci Futures, a foresight and innovation firm that works with leading organizations such as Visa, Ford, and NATO to create inspiring visions of the future that drive innovation and positive change. He's a frequent keynote speaker, and his work has been featured in publications such as Fast Company, Wired, and the BBC. You can find more on his work at scifutures.com, that's S-C-I-F-U-T-U-R-E-S, and at scifutures on Twitter. In this episode, Ari shares insights on storytelling for meaning, structural frameworks, taming complexity, creative synthesis, rehearsing the future, and far more. Keep listening to learn from Ari's great insights. Ari, awesome to have you on the show. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. So you run a very interesting organization called Sci Futures. Tell us about that. What does it do? I do, yeah. Well, firstly, I want to say it's great to be here and I've been really looking forward to chatting to you. Uh, so thanks for having me. But yeah, so Futures is really a foresight and innovation agency. We're 10 years old and I founded the company on the belief, intuition, gut feel that science fiction could be a really powerful tool for organizational transformation. My background was in management consulting and, and consumer insights market research. So I knew the power of stories in terms of making data come to life. And I thought, well, if it applies in market research, we can apply it to the world of foresight in futures. Um, I was also a big science fiction fan. And so I understood how sci-fi can really capture the imagination and brought you into these future worlds in a really visceral way. So what I tried to do is bottle that and sell it. <laughs> so that's basically what SciFutures does at a very high level. So getting you and your teams to write or you know convey stories about the future which are relevant to organizations so that they can be a little, little better informed or get a bit more perspective on their decisions today. Exactly. Um, definitely better informed um, because as you put out in your book, um, you know, thriving and overload, it, when you have so much information, it's how do you uh, make sense of it? And one of the great things that storytelling can do is it can help us um, create meaning in data. I like to say stories is data with salt. So particularly when it comes to understanding potentially where your organization could be and the future that's emerging, how do we help human beings, which are essentially storytelling animals, 
make sense of all that information. Um, and stories are a really good way to do that. And sci-fi in particular has done it really well as a genre, as an entertainment genre. But our company, what we did is we we took it and created it as a business tool. So yeah, at a, at a very high level, that's what we do. Mm. So pulling back to the present. Yeah. And so organized individuals are overloaded with information. Uh, and I suppose that's partly a, you know one of the things which you're doing as tools to be able to make sense of that. But I mean, just what are your reflections on this sense of overload that we experience as individuals? And I suppose even yeah. you know, organizations, I suppose by extension, are also overloaded. Yeah, because when you're overloaded, as we all know, at least certainly for me, we shut down. You know, we can't function. And that's because there's too much stimuli to take in. So we start to shut out stimuli or the stimuli that we have. We just cannot process it fast enough or in time. And actually, not only do you become in a neutral state, you actually become completely ineffective, at least as individuals when I'm overloaded. I just got to literally put myself in a room, close the door and put on my music and kind of regenerate that way. So, and part of that is, I think, is the way that we as human beings process information. A few of us are good at processing information in kind of an intellectual cognitive way. And that's the tool of business, isn't it? It's kind of slides and slides of, of data and it's management consultants talking to you and it's engineers telling you about feeds and speeds, but it's just too much. But what we are really good at is processing information in narrative, um, in stories. And, you know, stories help us make sense of the world and it's obviously a very successful medium. <laughs> it's one of the oldest technologies we have is storytelling. You know, what do most of us do when we've had a, a hard day at work? We come home and we put on the TV so we can watch stories. It's just ways for us to process. So our approach to making the future, to bring the future to life is to take the signals and trends and information create a structural framework for that, and then to create stories to basically bring it to life so that um, you really kind of enhance the key information that might have been lost. Um, and there's lots of different ways to tell stories and and there's lots of different ways to create connection with information and content. But the basic premises of it is um, if you follow the system one, system two processing, you know, system two is the kind of cognitive kind of analytical side and system one is just gut and intuition and more emotional and visceral. What we're trying to do is take that kind of all that cognitive information and then create a system two way of putting it. Another analogy I like to use is the iron fist and the velvet glove. You know, so the iron fist is basically that great research that you've done and the trends and all that information you've hoovered up and organized. That's your iron fist. And then the velvet glove, the way it's delivered, is through the stories or stories storytelling. So you you talked about the trends, then a structural framework, and then the uh, story. So let's unpack that. And coming from, all right, the trends, the information, the present. So, you know, what do you do in terms of being able to identify what are the signals mm. and all of the massive amount of uh, noise that we have today? Yeah, it's a really good question. I mean, I mean, it's really, I'm in the strong philosophy, and this is a bit controversial, I know, in the foresight space. But I'm, I'm of the strong belief that the best way to predict the future is to build it yourself. I know that there are other practitioners, foresight practitioners, who really like to try and kind of plan as best as they can and create scenarios. And they can do almost like mental gymnastics to kind of create the right 
what if scenarios and levers. But I think in reality, um, that can be again just system to overload again. I think what we want to do is to create well-informed stories about potential futures that excite and inspire the organization. So what's the future we want to build? Let's create visions, narratives, well-informed. We're not making this up and we're not creating entertainment, but let's create visions of the future that are um, inspiring, exciting. I wouldn't say utopian because we have a lot of challenges, so we need to be also realistic in terms of what can be achieved and what can't be. But let's create these kind of what I call North Stars, um, well-informed North Stars. And those then become catalysts for um, the organization to kind of galvanize and get behind. Now, whether those futures come to life exactly how they imagined or not is almost immaterial. What's more important is the fact that the organization is changing the way it's doing things today. So you asked about today. Really, I think what our work is about is is accelerating change today towards more, um, I would say, disruptive, although that word's become a bit bit of a naughty word these days, but more transformational futures for the organization. And yeah, so that's really where we specialize, um, is like building those visions, well-informed visions. Now, what is the building blocks of those visions? That's the question you asked me. Um, that can be, it can be trends. It can be kind of the big macro forces of change. You know, every organization has different language around emerging technologies, weak signals, strong signals. You know, we often interview experts, um, subject matter experts. We interview experts within the company. All of that is kind of the raw data that we then use to kind of inform the vision. And the other analogy I like to use is it's like an artist's palette of all the different paints and colors that you have. And then those are all the signals and all that raw data. And then you can paint the picture using that as your toolbox. Yeah, and even the process of doing that is incredibly valuable itself because what it forces the organization to do is to prioritize what's in and what's out. (laughs) And oftentimes they don't know or they haven't had those strategic conversations. So part of, part of it is, you know, in a way, in the in driving overload frame, you know, your purpose is the frame, in which it makes you understand what information is relevant and which isn't. And I think exactly, you know, exactly in an organizational context, you know, exactly. e- either you have a vision or you need one. Exactly. And, uh, yeah. Or do you, do you all agree that that's the vision? Because oftentimes yeah, well, that, that's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. that is part of the process, mm-hmm. and that starts to then filter what information is relevant and what isn't. But there is still this question of this process, right? As you say, you've got strong signals, weak signals, but before Mm -hmm. you discern whether it's weak or strong, you still got to see that there is a signal. So is there any practice or is there, I mean, how do you individually look for information? Do you have, do you scan particular sources? Do you have feeds? What it is do you do to to see what might be input into this? Yeah, we actually subscribe to companies that specialize in um, scanning, scouting, and signal identification. We also do our own um, because oftentimes there are kind of common databases that companies have access to, but oftentimes it's, it's kind of the unique people that you meet through your network and the kind of, you know, our expertise in identifying experts working on really interesting areas and kind of bringing them in. Um, And it's a combination of both, but you know, we do a lot of our scanning. Um, we create databases of companies around particular areas. We'll use our clients' information too. But we usually buy into, or we typically buy into outside, you know, companies that are, they do that all day, every day, and they, they're kind of good at it. Yeah, but that's that's part of it. 
you know, certainly you want to make sure that you have the right foundational content. Um, and maybe you want to prioritize what you think is more important than other pieces of content. It's quicksand. You can get completely buried and swallowed up in that in that work. Um, so ultimately, let, yeah, let's be reasonable about what the signals are and what our foundational material is. And But then let's say, okay, if this is the case, now what potential futures could we create? What do we want to be when we grow up? What will motivate us? What will make us money? What will inspire our, our company? What will inspire our customers and stakeholders? Now let's create narratives of that future. Now you've got something tangible, a straw man or some kind of North Star that you could then work towards. And so what's unique about Site Futures is we do that, but we also help our clients prototype and build towards that future as well. Um, and over the last 10 years, we know that the act of prototyping and starting to invent solutions around your North Star, that's a creative act itself. And, and the more you learn, the more you learn what you can do and can't do. And so, yes, ultimately you might've had that as a North Star vision, but now that you're doing that hard work, you're actually realizing that it's probably going to look more like this. And then within the same time, the world's changing as well. You know, the context is changing around you as you're doing that. I suppose yeah. part of the point is that in yeah. the, when you're looking at these you know, visions or possibilities for the future, you're hopefully riding a trend or understanding what it is that, you know, where, where are the directions, what it is that you can ride or harness or unleash or uh, work with uh, because that's part of the signal. So it's not present state, but where things are heading and that's where you can't necessarily completely turn the course of history, but you can yeah. maybe tweak it or ride that in various ways. So, but you still need those inputs as to what, where we are heading. And you need to be ready, right? To ready to pivot or ready to be able to jump on it. So you don't want to learn about something that's transformational happening too late, right? Because then it's too late. So like you if you can get in early enough and you have the language around it organizationally, you have the competencies around it, then you'll be able to jump on it maybe quicker than your competitors and have, you know, have a solution. So it's also developing competencies internally to be able to handle sometimes ambiguous emerging kind of amorphous but potentially very transformational ideas like you know obviously cryptocurrency is a great example of that but you know there's lots of them and of course the danger with that is is the hype cycle you get a little too excited or exuberant it's too early and it doesn't eventuate how, how you are so you got it it's kind of a balancing act but what i'm most interested in and i think what our clients struggle with the most is and these are fortune 500s is like we just keep doing the same thing over and over again and expecting to have the same outcome or we we did very well making money and became successful doing it this way we can see the writing on the wall so what this work really does is it kind of helps them rehearse the future helps them practice develop language understand it experiment so that they can be a little bit more malleable and flexible um, and it's easier said than done of course but that's really what i'm excited about is kind of changing you know getting them out of that kind of fixed way of operating into into a more kind of flexible, open way of doing things. Back from scenario planning, I mean, rehearsing the future was uh, one of the, the the phrases I learned very early in, in my yeah. training. I think, yeah, that's a wonderful... It is good, isn't it? ...crystallization yeah. of what, what, what it's about. Yeah, exactly. You are listening to the Thriving on Overload podcast. If you truly want to increase your information productivity, then check out the Thriving on Overload interactive course. It is designed to significantly enhance your information practices and habits, 
guiding you through creating your own personal information plan so you can excel in a world of overload. Go to thrivingonoverload.com slash course to find out more. Now back to the show. You mentioned earlier before this structural frameworks. So, you know, actually this is making very much the framework for which uh, I put together for thriving on overload. So frameworks, yes, love it. Yeah. So what are those structural frameworks? How do you put them together? What is the, what is the process? What do those look like? <laughs> yeah, we don't have a great process for it, but we do have very smart strategists that we work with that, that are very good at distilling. And like just this is like their dream job is to take all that information, figure out the themes, figure out the commonalities, and then to create uh, meaningful buckets that the client can digest. Um, and so I think for each client, those those frameworks are different. And it also depends on the brief, what we're trying to achieve. But essentially, and I, I apologize, it's probably a terrible oversimplification of it, but essentially what it is, is it's a way to tame complexity in a way. Those frameworks are a way of taming complexity in a way that you can kind of double-click on different areas. You can still get to the complexity underneath it, but it's to give, it's to, meaningfully organize a lot of information that's what frameworks are and there's a real art to it to doing it well isn't there like there's there can be like genius creativity in creating these beautiful elegant frameworks and you know it when it's done it's like ah oh, that's perfect but oftentimes it takes a lot of time to kind of get that right framing and you know so we, we tend to let that happen organically it's almost like we'll know it when we see it but it also depends on the client know what language they're comfortable with what they use what, what's a what's a bucket and what's in a bucket and how are the buckets connected together yeah i mean it could be big bets you know it could be opportunity areas uh it could be the kind of macro forces it's the one we're just working on uh why is it slipped my mind i don't know maybe i'm not allowed to say that's probably why it's my unconscious telling me not to not to talk about it. but you know essentially there are like big kind of grouping areas that contextually you know, maybe I'm mutually exclusive from the others, although it's harder and harder to, because everything is intertwined. But um, essentially, there are like key ideas that can sit, sit fairly independently on their own. That's a good explanation of a particular area. It's distinct from other areas. We've seen them all. We've seen houses, Venn diagrams, you know, pillars. You know, there's just lots and lots of different frameworks. Right. Uh, I have to ask: Is any are any of these public? Or I mean, I'm sure they're all for corporates or for internal use, but nothing, yeah. nothing there. Which, uh... unfortunately, not. Yeah, because it's strategic to the client, and it's really where they're going to focus their transformation efforts. So it's very difficult to for a client to agree to share any of that work. It's sure. even it's even more sensitive, I'd say, than some sometimes the like downstream work like the stories and narratives. Well, yeah. well maybe try to try to get a pro bono client or something <laughs> yeah. somewhere where you can yeah, yeah, yeah. share something. Because yeah. I think you know that's that's a part of the crystallization. I mean the crystallization of course is in the stories. Yes. There's applications of this is the future world and oh I can see yes this is possible and this is what we can do to be successful in that world. But it, I think the the frameworks is part of what a lot of companies don't necessarily recognize as a critical step between the the vast amount of information and making sense in a way that's uh, useful to them. I totally agree. You know, it's that iron fist because otherwise you just sort of finger in the air. So one, one of the, I suppose, uh, you know, what, what you are doing, of course, is synthesizing. Yes. You know, you are pulling together 
Yeah, unlimited information and synthesizing that into something that is coherent. Yeah, ultimately a story. Exactly. Uh, so, is there anything you can say? I mean, you already shared some aspects of it. Is there anything else you can say around, you know, around you individually or the people in your team or the process or how it is that, you know, you are enacting that beautiful act of synthesis? Yeah, it is a beautiful act and it is a creative act. What I've learned through my career, particularly my tenures, it's our futures, is that people have different skills and different passions. And it, what I've found is some people, their like wet dream job is to literally spend all day doing research and like looking for signals. Like with other people, that's a complete nightmare. And some people, it's like, I suspect it's it's you, Ross, is to is to synthesize information and create great structures and and meaning and beautiful elegant frameworks. They love doing that. So it's, for me, what I found is finding the right people to do the right jobs. And then everyone's happy. They, they they're in their flow, passionate about doing their research. They're in their flow, passionate about creating the structures and the the frameworks and the foundations. And then the storytellers, the creatives. Um, they can take that and this is your brief the the structures and frameworks is what you need to use as your source material for your imagination and so what i found works best is find the right people to do the right jobs and and then you'll get to get to really really good work where it becomes difficult is you know obviously when you're somebody who hates research has to do the research on somebody who can't just just they're not a structural thinker they're just complete wild creatives making them it's just a nightmare yeah, so over the years, been lucky enough to identify people that are really good. Occasionally, you get people who can, who are very good and are passionate about one, two, or three. There's almost like unicorns in the world of our world because I, I actually think it's it's a different kind of. It's a bit like a personality type um, that it's rare for people to have multiple. It can happen, but it's it's rare. Yeah, well, Neil Neil Stevenson or William Gibson are exactly. Probably. Nice examples of exactly. put, them, put them all together. <laughs> exactly, and they they're unique. And and usually you can, I've I've seen a couple of them in my career, and then they just go off and have these amazing jobs because they're super rare, and people hire them, and they like, you know, they have these fantastic careers. But yeah, so so for us, our model, our business model, is we have a very small team, but we have a lovely network of. I like to say it's like my jewel box of precious jewels, you know, and it's like, what's the, we've got the client and it's like, okay, sounds like we need this person, that person. And, and then we assemble the team and then we do really good work. I mean, you've already described a little bit, but mm. just to flesh out a little bit that idea of the brief to the writer. Yeah. All right. So you've got sci-fi writer. And as you say, if you just let them loose, they might go a bit wild. Yeah. So what is the nature of the brief that you give them? What do you give them to so that they can write a story that's relevant to the to the client. Yeah. So this is another thing we've learned over the last 10 years is that you can't expect extremely creative science fiction writers to write what I would call, you know, a strategic narrative, a, a, a science fiction. They just, they don't know how to do it because they don't know the language of corporations, they don't know the language of consumers, marketing, innovation, foresight. They just, so you need to find the right type of creative that understands the world of business and commerce, because those are most of our clients, not all of them, most of them, and also very creative. And those people are fantastic. So yeah, so the brief would typically include, these people love information, so we'd, we'd create a nice brief. There's usually a deck that supports it, and that's the structure, and kind of the kind of frameworks that we've de developed 
So we'll share the frameworks. This is the opportunity areas, this is the frameworks, these are the areas the clients are interested in, then they'll use that and then we'll say, okay. Usually we start with like seed ideas. So rather than go out and create like big works of art, or to be clear, our stories aren't always, although sometimes they are just like short stories, they can be, you know, like podcasts, magazine, article, you know, video, short video, you know, there's so many different ways to tell stories so so we'll like solicit seed ideas um so if this is the if this is the foundational material this is what the client's trying to achieve and that's really what the brief is let's see let's hear some of your seed ideas now with creatives as you probably know some are more introverted and want to do that on their own so they'll go away and they'll do it all and then come back and then some like to brainstorm and kind of bounce off each other so we have a combination of both of that then ultimately, we'll take those seed ideas, present them to the client, and go, look, these are all the different ways we can tell your stories. These are the different types of stories we can tell within the, you know, the strategic work that we've done. And then basically, we pick the ones that I'm most excited with. And it's a collaborative process because the client has politics to, to deal with. They have their own internal <laughs> So you know you got to make it's appropriate. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But ultimately, you'll get to this this happy middle ground where it's well informed, it's creative, but it's also going to fit the culture of the client. So, uh, so one one book which I, I think you know it's all, it's very generic. It's not obviously company specific, but I think is is really nice is AI twenty forty two by Kai Fuli, um, which uh, I presume you've seen, which you know some beautiful, you know, well structured, pertinent scenarios for future of AI. I just wondered if there's any other public reference points or other, you know, writers or things where you you found that there's pragmatic, tangible evocations of the future. You know, one, the one publication I really liked was 12 Tomorrows that MIT used to put out. I don't think they do that anymore, unfortunately. They, they were fantastic. But I, I quite like the short story anthology format myself um, because in kind of a short story, there's enough space to really tell a good story, but it also flesh out ideas. I'm a huge fan of that. I haven't seen that great. Uh, some anthologies are quite good. Um, some aren't, aren't that good. You know, the X Prize did some interesting work for a client. If you've seen those, where they, they, I think it was for Air Nippon Air Airways, uh, ANA, they created like a fictional website um, where each seat on the airplane was a different story. That was kind of cool. There's, you know, there's some interesting. They're, they're rare. I haven't seen that many of them. Every now and then, like Microsoft will do an anthology. That can be quite good. We've done a, a couple of public ones. Um, we did one for NATO um, on the future of warfare, um, which we're actually repeating right now. We're doing it again, which is really cool. And it's re- actually really interesting to see how how much has changed from we did when we did the first set of stories to where we are today, and to reread those stories is fascinating. But yeah, there aren't that many, unfortunately. So just to to round out, I mean, what are any you know, from your role and what you do, you know, what are any wisdom, insights, recommendations you would share with our audience on how it is they can uh, thrive, prosper in a, in a world of lots and lots of information? For me, it's like, remember that humans are storytelling creatures and don't expect them to be able to process huge amounts of information. Although there are certain people that can and they're amazing and they typically are engineers. <laughs> But, but um, most people have short attention spans and the way to help them process information is through story. 
well-informed, well-written stories. And when you say story, you know, create a character that someone can relate to, give them a challenge, see them overcome that challenge or not. You know, build a world that feels um, that you can empathize with. And then within that, implicit within that, is all the content, all the messaging. That's, you know, I would strongly suggest that's the, a very effective way to communicate in times of, of information overload. Um, and, and you'd be surprised how powerful it can be when you get it right. You know, like it just can become part of the public imagination. And science fiction has done that. You know, you've got the hell, you've got the Terminators, you know, they've cre- totally created a vision and almost a belief that this is what technology can do when it goes wrong or, or eventually will do. So no one agreed that, you know, the person who was creating those stories didn't intend to do that, but for somehow, some way, we've collectively, we've um, come to the realization that that's our future. So I think we want to just be, you know, they, they're powerful both in the good, good sense and in the negative sense, I think. Fantastic. Thank you so much for your, your time and your insight. That's been a really fascinating conversation. Pleasure, yeah. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to the show. If you want more resources to help you thrive in a world of exponential information, go to thrivingonoverload.com, where you can find all podcast episodes, transcripts, show notes, excerpts from my book, Thriving on Overload, the Thriving on Overload interactive course, and a trove of other useful content and resources, including a weekly Tips for Thriving newsletter to keep across it all. If you like this episode, please do help us be found by giving us a rating or review and subscribe if you'd like to hear more. This is Ross Dawson. Thank you for listening. Have a wonderful day.